Welcome to Hunting Influence, a podcast by Influence Hunter. We share stories from those that have it and those that leverage it to help you develop what we believe could be the most important skill in business right now, influence. I'm your host, Aaron Kostinets. I'm here today with entrepreneur Miriam Elgani. Miriam is the founder and CEO of Miriam's Garlic Goodness, which is a Lebanese garlic dip commonly known as tomb. It's a versatile dip infusing the rich flavors of raw garlic, lemon juice, natural oils, and zesty spices. They make garlic goodness in small batches with fresh, organic ingredients and California-grown garlic. Miriam's garlic goodness is gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, ketogenic, non-GMO, very probiotic, and 100% woman-owned. Thank you for joining me today, Miriam. Thank you for having me, Erin. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so I would love for you to kind of take us back uh, and let me know how you got started on your entrepreneurial journey. Is being an entrepreneur something you were always passionate about or did you just kind of stumble across it? When I was a young girl, I always had a gut feeling that I would own something one day Um, from the age of like 12 to 15. I just, I knew I had something in store for me later on, but I didn't know what it was and I didn't understand it fully, but it was a gut feeling. But technically when I look back on my story, definitely it was not, it was not planned for sure. It was, it was just something that just, just happened. So yeah. Was there anything early on that you kind of started that let you know, um, you know, lemonade stand or something that kind of <laughs> showed you, you know, this is cool. This is something that I can do. I think, um, you know, I have family members who own businesses and just seeing the hustle and seeing what they do and how they, they call the shots and they, do, they, they run it how they want to and they're their own boss. That definitely, I think, played an influence on me and made me think, well, I could do that. I don't like taking orders, so maybe I could do it for myself. <laughs> and so I thought maybe uh, it could be something I could do in the future for sure. What were some of those family businesses that maybe impacted you? Well, in Lebanon, my uncles own like an artifact shop almost. Like they, they just sell like little knickknacks and specialty items um, in Lebanon. Um, so that's that. And then, uh, gosh, back in the day, maybe 50 years ago, my family were farmers and they would sell their fruits and their oils and things like that. And then here in America, um, my parents own a, a restaurant. So I, I ended up growing up in, in the business world. So I was very much fully engulfed in it since the age of 15 Wow. And what's the restaurant that they own? They own a falafel bite Mediterranean grill. It's in uh, Silicon Valley in Sunnyvale. Cool. I can see how uh, your business was kind of inspired from that a little bit then. Big time. (laughs) For sure. Uh, The garlic dip itself actually originated in the restaurant. So it's a big part of the story. Awesome. Well, so it sounds like it kind of runs through your veins, um, but you're also still working uh, part-time at uh, UC Berkeley where you have a wide variety of positions. And obviously that's a very impressive school. Um, what aspects of your work there have helped you in your role as, as CEO of your own company? Well, working at the University of California, Berkeley uh, has been a wonderful experience and is continues to be. Um, working there, you have to have 
Gosh, um, you have a lot of roles, a lot of responsibilities. You're juggling a lot of things on a timeline that you're not in control of. And there's so many moving parts that you have to take into consideration. So in a way, very much so, it trained me to be an even better entrepreneur and business person, to deal with people, to uh, to have to, to face the bureaucracy in a way um in in the food world it might be like the fda or like the, the laws and regulations so it's just uh learning how to balance um everything uh is definitely has helped me become an even better entrepreneur for sure and tell me a little bit more about uh your position there and, and some of the stuff that you're doing at, at berkeley well when i first started at the university of california berkeley i uh started out at the joint medical program, which is a, a medical school between UC Berkeley and UCSF. So I was the admissions officer there for about two years. And then I took on a variety of roles uh, part-time at the maternal child adolescent health department, public health nutrition, um, health and social behavior pretty soon here. So I've been jumping around a little bit just because I was part-time and whenever they needed somebody, they were like, hey, she can do it. She can do everything. So <laughs> I was the person to call. And so I, I really took, um, you know, an admissions role uh, and as well as a program manager role and coordinator role uh, in a lot of ways, because I, I think became known as the person who is able to juggle things. A utility person, just kind of able to fit in as you, you are needed. Uh, and would you say that overall it benefits your company to be working there or does it take away because you have to spend so much time learning all these new roles and, you know, helping out the university? For the majority of the time I've been doing the business, it's been a very good. I'm getting at the point now where it, it is now becoming um, maybe a bit of an issue where it's, where it's like, okay, now I might have to be full-time business, which is something I've been wanting to do and have been looking forward to getting to that point. So um, we'll see what the year holds for me, but for sure it's getting to that point. Um, but I'm very grateful for the time that I have had and uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> And I'm sure it must be great to have that network too uh, of people there because obviously Berkeley is a great school. So I want you to take me back um, to kind of your origin story. So I know that it, it seems like you were inspired by uh, your family business, everyone kind of being entrepreneurial and your parents owning a restaurant. Um, but when did you exactly decide, okay, I'm starting out my own company. Like I'm not just going to work in the family restaurant. I want to I do my own thing. Well, it was after college and uh and i gra i graduated i guess uh, a little later than most um it was in 2016 so not too long ago and uh i thought i was going to be a speech language pathologist and i was going to go work with cleft, cleft palate kids and i had this whole medical career plan planned out but uh then i realized that i want to do something that makes me happy and makes me feel healed and uh on a regular basis so what do i do when when I need my self-care, my self-therapy, what do I do? I said, well, I always cook. Gosh, I always work with food and I, I really like that. What if I could turn that into a career? So that's when I started to kind of dabble with it and figure it out. And it was also a matter of meeting, meeting the right person who introduced me to the consumer packaged food good world and what does that mean? And I can, I can actually make that a career. I had no idea. So it was, um, it was kind of a, a little bit of um, exploring myself internally and what I needed to do 
for myself to make myself happy in a career, um, like emotionally, mentally, all of it was very connected for me personally. And was that right out of college that you started this? Essentially, I started dabbling with the recipe and, and, and kind of the research of it right out of college in 2016. And then uh, it wasn't until a couple years later that I actually sold my first item. So I, it was a slow progress of, of learning. And I, I didn't, I wasn't afraid of taking my time. I knew that, uh, not that I have to win the race per se, but I knew that slow and steady wins it. And, and it's okay to take your time and why rush it. And, and if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it's been a fun ride. So, uh, that's, that's kind of my, been my motto all along. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like you, you know, before, you know, especially since you're young, before committing yourself to something like this, you really got to understand what's out there and, and whether or not it's for you. But it's uh, rare that people actually admit that. But uh, tell me what that looked like between 2016 and 2018 when you were kind of getting ready to sell. I'm sure there was a lot going there. So I'd love to hear what that kind of education period actually entailed. Right. It was, it was learning about the laws. Um, what does it take to start a food company? What does it mean to own one? How do you even get the packaging to sit something on the shelf? How, how do you make those connections? Um, and, the, and the industry has changed a lot. And I think when I started, it really, the resources that are available now with all these podcasts, including this one, and like uh, the events were, it was very much like maybe like one event on the West, one on the East, and there isn't much else. Um, so it was a very much a networking thing. And so I, I happened to meet somebody and uh, I kind of, he was kind of like my mentor and I would just ask him questions all the time. And I would listen to him on his business meetings all the time. And he worked for this big kombucha company, GT's Kombucha, also known as Synergy. So he was a big company and it still is. So um, hearing all of his conversations and the hustle and bustle about it, I mean, that was a big part of those two years is seeing what it takes. I mean, he would get up at like, three, four AM and he'd work till nine and he just was it was normal every day. So I was like, oh okay, this is what it takes. Um it was interesting. And then of course the research and the uh, and research and development with, with perfecting the recipe as well was a process. And then I finally was ready. I think it was in twenty 17, I did a foodie event uh, called the Halal Food Festival, mainly catered towards Muslims who only eat halal food. And I just knew about it through the community and they told me like, oh, you should try it. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, I put a booth up for my dad's restaurant, my mom and dad's restaurant, and uh, we sold their falafel and everything. And um, decided, let me jar up my garlic dip and, and see what happens. Will people buy this? Is this something that people would actually pay money for? And uh, at the time, I couldn't fathom it. It was just like, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Nobody was doing it at the time. So it was, it's not like hummus. It was not a saturated um, item in the grocery place. It was, you could not find it. So, um, it worked. People wanted to buy it and all the time. And then I got, I got calls <laughs> and then that's kind of just how I was convinced that I should absolutely pursue it. So was that food festival kind of a make it or break it deal for you? Um, so you had been, you know, really trying to learn the ropes, see what it's actually going to be like. And I'm sure it was pretty scary to actually finally be getting some customer feedback and try and sell it. Was that, did you decide beforehand that this was the big moment for you and this would be the ultimate factor in your decision? 
Uh, it wasn't actually, no, it was a test. Like, okay, I'll see if people like it. But uh, at the same time, I knew that it wasn't going to be a maker to break it at the same time. I, I knew I had to get into at least one grocery store to know for sure. Um, and, and that didn't happen until about a year later. Okay, so, so after you first at least had some really good feedback, what were your next steps there? So you, I think after that, did you decide that this was really something you definitely wanted to pursue once you had that good customer feedback at the food festival? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, the feedback was very positive and it definitely helped me feel more encouraged to keep going. And, and what were those next steps then after that? I was like, okay, I have to figure out something to put it in so that I could sell it on the shelf at a grocery store. And again, if there was competition out there, I couldn't find them easily. So maybe their marketing wasn't on point or whatever it is, but I had no one to compare to. And at the time I didn't think of comparing myself to hummus and other salsas and dips. It didn't occur to me. <laughs> so I was like, this is different. Let me put it in a jar. <laughs> so that's what I did. I put it in mason jars and that's how I started to sell it. And then I kind of just a different type of jar and, and that's, kind of what I figured I'd just try it and I'd put a ceiling band on it and and let's see what happens. <laughs> so in that time period, were you selling it to friends and family? Were you selling it online? Or were grocery stores just your main focus then? I had friends and family who wanted it, um, but it was not too many. It was still a very like foreign thing to ask for a whole jar of garlic dip. It was garlic dip and at least culturally is very much just something you only eat with the rotisserie chicken. Um, and, or maybe in the shawarma wrap, you don't like, you don't like have a jar of it at any given time. So it was very culturally different and, and very innovative um, at the time. So um, not too many people were purchasing it directly, but occasionally I had some friends asking. <laughs> So what did it look like when you got into that first grocery store? Can you tell me what that, what that was like and, and how you actually got about doing that? It was so funny. Um, so that same mentor, his name is John Weaver. I would go uh, and we'd, we'd hang out and we went to Santa Cruz and we went to this natural food store called the Staff of Life Natural Foods. And I was blown away because I'd never seen a natural food store like that. There's not too many in the Silicon Valley where I grew up. And, uh, it just, it blew me away. And I, I would look at the shelf and be like, one day, maybe one day I'll be on the shelf. How, how would that be? Like, how, how would I feel? That would be so cool, John. Oh my gosh, that would be so cool. And he was like, why not? Why can't you just do it? Just try, come next week. And I was like, you think I'm ready? He's <laughs> like, you'll never know until you try. So just try. And so I came the next week and I only had my one flavor and I pitched it to the buyer and I just walked in, um, you know, he taught me how to make like a little paper sheet called a cell sheet. Like it was very, <laughs> um, I tried my best and the buyer said, you know what? We want a garlic dip here. We've heard of it. We used to have one here. Let's do it. So he said yes right away. And he's like, he looked at my one flavor and he was like, what, you don't have more flavors? I want more flavors. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I have more flavors. I for sure have more flavors. <laughs> He's like, what are they? So I made them up on the spot. <laughs> and I said, I'll come back on Monday and I'll bring you a couple cases. And he's like, okay. And that was it. Uh, the next day I made up the flavors and I'm still using them. So what were they? Was the jalapeno garlic dip, the chili pepper, red hot chili peppers with garlic dip. And uh, at the time I had a black pepper as well. 
And did you have those in your mind before as like, oh, these are some flavors I might eventually do? Or did you really just have to react when he asked you? I reacted. <laughs> That's awesome. That's kind of funny. It worked out. That's great that it lasted the, the test of time too. Um, and was that your <laughs> first grocery store or you'd pitched? That was the very first. And the first I got in immediately. So that was and very good for my confidence. <laughs> I bet. That's pretty rare. I bet you're in like the one percentile of like uh, first place you pitched, you, you got in immediately. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So take me through kind of how you were in, uh, able to end up growing this business from just you pitching it to this guy and not even having your packaging or flavors necessarily down to, to kind of where you are today. What, what did that look like? Um, it was, it was a learning experience for sure. Um, but it, it was, it was interesting. It was like, okay, I have to make it more professional. So I would do what I thought was the best. And I knew that it would continue to grow over time and I would learn, but I also knew that I had limited funding, nothing. <laughs> and uh, just the money I was making at my dad's restaurant at the time, um, you know, minimum wage and anything that I earned, I invested in the company to buy labels, to buy jars, to buy the ingredients. And so I would just, I took it one step at a time and, um, and then it just was slow and steady progress. And then I learned the importance of networking and how vital that was to the growth of a company. Um, and that has made all of the difference for sure. And did you ever consider getting funding or did you always kind of want to be bootstrapped? Um, I've definitely considered getting funding and I know it's something I'm probably going to do um, in the near future, but um it wasn't my intention per se. I didn't set out to be like, Hey, I'm going to be a bootstrap company. I'm going to struggle through this. <laughs> it didn't, it wasn't my intention. It was somewhat around fear, to be honest. Like I was like, I'm too, too nervous to borrow money from somebody. What if I don't make the money back? I can't pay them back. I don't want to be in that situation. I don't like owing people anything. So, um, I was like, if I'm doing this, I'm doing it on my own until it's proven successful. And if I get to the point where I attract investors and they believe in me and they, they can help me grow this thing. Awesome. But I'm, I'm going to wait until that pivotal moment that a lot of entrepreneurs have. And I knew at the time, especially early on, it wasn't there. Yeah. That's uh, super rare. I think in the, in the CPG space to, to really just try and do it all on your own. Um, but so how did you expand and how, how many stores are, are you in uh, at the moment? Gosh, uh, the numbers keep growing. So I, I mean, we're still fairly small, I suppose, but let's say we're in like about 80 now and expecting another like 40 in the next couple months. So that's exciting. Um, but to give you some perspective, um, January, 2020, I had 10. Wow. And do you have a co-packer now? No, I work at a commercial facility in Concord and uh, they have, you know, heavy duty equipment and I'm able to use it. Um, so it's very much a commercial facility, um, which is wonderful, but I'm still doing it myself and I have a couple employees that I, I work with. And have you ever thought about kind of giving up that control or would that be hard for you? Because, uh, you know, obviously your product, you care about the quality more than anyone. I know that eventually, um, should it expand the way I want it to. Um, I will need a co-packer, absolutely. Um, 
but until I'm at that moment, it's kind of like the investing. Uh, like I, once I get to the pivotal moment where I cannot physically and mentally do it on my own, then I'll I'll go asking for help. <laughs> and when when do you think that pivotal moment will be? When you hit like 200 stores, or kind of what? What I is think it? 300. 300. <laughs> yeah. And cool. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about your product. So your website says garlic is a potent, flavorful ingredient filled with natural probiotics to help us be resilient and powerful. Uh, So when were you kind of introduced to the health benefits of garlic? Uh, From a really young age, I was always eating garlic because uh, we would eat it a lot in our like Lebanese cuisine. So my dad would grow it and he'd tell me, oh, garlic is so good for you for these reasons. And um, if you have a mis- my grandma would tell me in Lebanon, when you have a mosquito bite, just open up, open up a garlic clove, cut it in half and rub it on your mosquito bite. It heals everything. Like it was just kind of a part of the healing culture using natural food items. Um, so, and my dad used to say that it cleanses your insides and just like kind of these like almost like folklore stories about garlic, um, but was based on, you know, scientific fact also, which is interesting. So, yeah. (laughs) And is this something you consumed a lot growing up? Did you always like, were you a huge garlic fan? And then you naturally knew that when you started a business, this is what you want? Or was it more like you just saw this as an opportunity because it's healthy, delicious, and the whole dip space is, uh, you know, there's not a ton of competition there at the moment. I grew up eating a lot of garlic. I grew up in South San Jose and it was just 20 minutes uh, north of Gilroy where the garlic is grown, uh, Gilroy garlic, right? So uh, I'd wake up in the morning and the smell of garlic is just boom in your face. (laughs) So um, it was pretty normal. Like the smell of garlic doesn't bother me. It was just, that was so in a way it was very connected to my childhood. Um, And whenever we'd have dinner, we'd, take a couple cloves and smash it on a mortar and pestle and throw in some olive oil, salt, and lemon. And that's what we did. It wasn't exactly the garlic dip I'm making, but it was actually the same exact base. It just didn't get whipped enough to turn into the dip. So um, really it's been a part of my diet since I, as long as I can remember and a lot of it. Um, So yeah, (laughs) as, as for the garlic dip, uh, I paid attention to the market and I looked on a lot of shelves and I did my research and that's how I knew that this was going to be the next big thing because I knew that I wanted it and I wanted to, I would, I would pay money for it for sure. And I knew that other people would, cause it's not easy to make and it's complicated. And the amount of times I get asked, how do you make this? How do you make this? It is a lot. <laughs> so, um, it, it, because I because I figured it out and I know how to do it and and all that and and there's people asking for it I I just knew that it was going to be something potentially big like hummus and uh, it, the restaurant was a great trial and error um, opportunity because um, when we had customers eating it in the wraps and asking for more and uh, then they would ask for containers filled. And then we were catering to tech companies in the Silicon Valley, like Netflix, Intel, Apple, you name it, we were catering to them. So um, then Netflix called us up and was like, yeah, can we get like a 12 inch, four inch deep tray of this stuff? We just want to keep it in the fridge. We want to eat it, but you're not giving us enough. (laughs) And we were just giving them an eight ounce container and we thought it was enough and it wasn't enough. 
people, they wanted it all the time. So, and that's when it really started to click like, Hey, I know it's garlic, it's potent. And you'd think that people wouldn't want it in the workplace, but they do. <laughs> well, I think all the best businesses are businesses that you would want to consider. Like you are your own target market. Um, had you ever kind of made it beforehand, you know, just for fun for yourself, like long before you'd even uh, considered the business? Or did you just do this when you realized that there was an opportunity for you? Oh, I used to make it all the time for myself. And I'd play around with recipes. And I, I mean, I would, I would have a lot and I would just give it away or talk about it with my dad because we, me and my dad would always like trying to perfect the texture and the taste and all of that. So it was kind of a fun thing that we did together. That's cool. That's, that's, that's interesting that you had already built it like long before uh, it was a real opportunity for you. So obviously when you start your own business, there's a whole learning curve and, and process that goes about it uh, and no one's perfect. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit uh, about maybe some of the obstacles you had to overcome or, or some mistakes that you made that um, you either learned from or that you wish you could uh, have back and do over. I'd love to kind of uh, hear a little bit about that. Yeah, of course, there's always mistakes along the way. Uh, one of the first mistakes I made was... I would say the labeling. I didn't hire somebody like right off the bat to help me with that. I didn't understand the importance of how it looks on the shelf. Um, I was like, but it tastes great. <laughs> but none of that matters if they are not going to pick it up and buy it. Right. So um, that was, I would say just like, maybe just like a naive, maybe not understanding business enough to, to know just how important it is. Um, so the label was very unclear. People didn't understand what it was and couldn't read couldn't read it um, and or tell the difference between the flavors or anything from the label. So that was something um, that I learned over time. Uh, consistency, um, learning how to be consistent with the recipe, I think uh, is very important and it's surprisingly difficult. <laughs> um, and so like learning to perfect a recipe and be exact um, is something that, you know, a home chef is not too worried about because that's part of the fun is it's different every time. But when you're a product on the shelf, you better be consistent <laughs> and you better not mess up. So I think I, that definitely happens sometimes where it's like, oh, it's not as thick as it's supposed to be. What the heck? And, and what if somebody complains and, and nobody really does, but, um, but in the back of your head, you're just constantly worried about it. Um, so that's, that's something. Uh, and then again, with labeling, it's like the label gun and putting the dates on it. And then what if it gets smudged and that's happened to, it got, has gotten smudged. And then guess what? It's all garbage. <laughs> even if it's good, even if it's not spoiled product, if it doesn't have, if the, if the, expiration date gets smudged or anything they will throw it away because it's a risk they don't know or whatever so so that you know they're little things <laughs> little things for sure um i think socially one thing that i learned was a mistake was that um i was almost hiding what i was doing because i was like um like almost nervous that somebody was going to do it too. But I think that is a very wrong perspective to have as a business person and food too, especially because there's always going to be competition and you shouldn't be afraid of the competitors. 
and look at the hummus and kombucha section or the bar section of a grocery store. There's like a hundred options, but guess what? They're all selling and they're all doing really well. So it's okay to have competition and people are going to buy from multiple brands. That's not like there's most people are not going to stay loyal to just one. And so it's, it's something to not be too overwhelmed or concerned about. So that's something I had to grow out of. Yeah. makes sense. And I get the sense from you that, uh, you know, you want to be involved in, in every aspect of your business. Uh, has it been hard for you to kind of delegate some tasks? It was, it has been. Um, but I think it's because I wasn't meeting the right people. Like, um, you know, finding the right people to join your team is definitely hard. Um, it's, it's, I take all, I, I've definitely tried and then it doesn't work out and I try and it doesn't work out. And it just kept happening so often that I was like, forget it. I'm doing it all on my own. <laughs> and I, I think, um, but when it does work out, it's like, oh, thank God, the weight off my shoulders. It's amazing. Like, oh, I need more help. Take it off. <laughs> like, it's great. So now it's just, um, now I'm in that process now where I'm like, okay, I'm building out a team. I'm going to get out of production 100%. I'm going to have t- help with this social media, with website building, with design. I'm going to just hire people to help because, um, yeah, you can't be, um, I don't want to be a jack of all trades. I want to be a master of being an entrepreneur, you know, I want to be a master of my business, but not knowing every single aspect. I don't have to be a master of every single part of it. I think it's tough for like young entrepreneurs to learn that. Um, cause it's hard to just trust someone with, with your baby, uh, obviously, but yeah. it sounds like you've been able to grow quite a lot over the pandemic. I mean, you said you were only in 10 stores uh, last January. So how would you say that COVID-19 has impacted you and what have you done to kind of adjust? Gosh, I thought the pandemic would ruin my business immediately. I was like, all right, time to pack up the bags. (laughs) It's over. Um, And then I was like, you know, let me just keep trying and see what happens. Um, So I don't want to, I don't want to be like so shocked about it, but I was at the time like, I, I was shocked that it was doing that well. Um, and it, it went very, it was just like this. It was, it was steady. And, but I wasn't trying to get into new stores because I was busy with Berkeley and I just wasn't focusing on it. And I was like, ah, might as well try. And then it, and then it went up <laughs> like crazy. And, and then I realized that I was the only one holding myself back. And, uh, and it really just opened my eyes. And uh, if I can survive in a pandemic, my God, can you imagine? So it just really was, it, it made me feel like super confident about the possibilities. And um, it was hard because I had to pivot in that, um, you know, I thought I could demo when I expanded to SoCal, to Southern California. And uh, I thought I was going to be able to get it into people's mouths, literally, but I, I couldn't. Cause I got into Southern California stores, like literally the week of the pandemic, um, the lockdown happening literally two days later. So, um, um, I had no choice, but to just try to sell it and see what happens. Um, so I did localized targeted ads on social media and that's all I did. So the fact that it kept, people kept buying it was maybe a mixture of luck and opportunity and just the pandemic and snacking on the rise and people wanting to try something different and who knows, but uh, the magic touch was there, I guess. And it, and it worked. And were there any kind of marketing channels that, that really helped you out 
throughout the pandemic or, or throughout the course of your business as a whole? Um, well, I had done, I did like two podcasts uh, and that was great uh, to get to get some other business people listening and paying attention to me. So that was cool. But on the consumer level, it was really just Instagram targeted ads. So I'd find a localized area, like an address and just target the, the area near the store that I was in. And that was it. And I'd throw in not even that much money, like 50 bucks or something. <laughs> and because that's all I could afford. And I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And it's like thousands of people looking at it. And, you know, maybe it's helping. Maybe that is the reason. People are on their phones when they're shopping, like pretty often now. So um, it, it, I don't know for a fact if that's the reason it did well. But that's the only thing I did. So I'm hoping that that was the reason. <laughs> And I think even if they don't necessarily, you know, on their phone right before they purchase, I think getting it in their head and having them see it as much as they can helps subliminally, right? Because they're not just going to see something one time and buy it. it. takes, I think, an average of seven times for people to see an ad. So I think hope maybe you were getting like those first few touches in with your Instagram ads. And then when they saw you at your store, they, they wanted it and they didn't even necessarily. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, where do you envision the future of Miriam's garlic goodness? Uh, take me through kind of, I know, obviously, everything is subject to change and, and who knows what's going to happen. I, I'm sure we didn't predict this whole pandemic. But one year, five year, 10 years down the line, I'd love to, to hear uh, kind of what your rough plan is. Yeah. Um, gosh, well, I'm working on it now. So hopefully by then it'll actually happen. But I want to be a national brand. I want to be in Whole Foods nationally and, and other local natural stores throughout and conventional stores. I'm, I want to be um, on the shelf next to Sabra nationally, for sure. That's my goal. Um, uh, I wasn't planning on coming out with pita chips, but it just kind of happened. <laughs> so that's happening. So, you know, I want to be next to Stacy's pita chips. It's going to be Miriam's pita chips right next to her. So that's going to happen for sure. I'm working on it now. So that's a little bit of what I envision. We'll see what happens, but um, that's my intention right now. How about e-commerce? Do you see that uh, as an opportunity for you? I think so. I think it's very possible, especially once I get into Whole Foods, uh, you know, with Prime now, it's wonderful. But, um, you know, e-commerce for perishable products is very difficult. Like, you have to be into like a, like a Sun Basket or Thrive Market or Hungry Root. Uh, type of program in order to sell because selling direct to consumer for me is not um, worth the headache for a perishable product. It's just not. Yeah, it can be super hard, especially you know as a true startup with no no funding right away. It can be it can be yeah. pretty difficult. Cool. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for uh, giving me all of that insight. I want to get into uh, what I call the quick fire round. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you questions. I mean, maybe you take a little longer, but ideally. Uh, you answer in a minute or less, and they're not all necessarily related to your business. So first one is, uh, do you have any morning rituals that you do to kickstart your day? I make myself a really nice cup of coffee, <laughs> and I sit down and drink it. <laughs> any specific type of coffee? And at what time is that, is that coffee usually? Nothing specifically. I have a friend in the coffee industry who sometimes gives me bags. And so I just try these different kinds. But, um, and I have it with whipped cream and brown sugar. And I sit on my couch and I read or I listen to a podcast. And that's usually what I do. And at what time is that usually? 
oh, well, 5 a.m. usually? 5, 6. That's really early. Um, <laughs> is there anyone's content who you listen to, watch, slash, read the most? Oh, I love her podcast. I love How I Built This by Guy Raz. I'm listening to, and I've listened to many times, uh, The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur by John Jantz. I love that book. Is that your favorite book of all time? Is that what you say the book that's helped you the most? I think so. Oh, I got to check that out. I haven't heard of that one. Amazing. <laughs> what is your favorite purchase that you've made of $100 or less? Maybe like a back massager. <laughs> like one of those like massage guns. Those are great. <laughs> those are awesome. I have one too. Where did you get yours? It's not on my Amazon. I don't even know the name. <laughs> Where is your favorite place that you've ever been to before? Oh, gosh. Um, the first thing that came into my mind right now is uh, NOLA, New Orleans. I love it. That's a great city. What is your favorite uh, CPG brand that isn't your own brand? Oh, gosh. There's so many. But currently, I'm, I'm geeking out over Olipop. I love their drinks. Cool. And where do you think, if you had to guess, your industry is headed over the next couple of years? I think it's just going to keep growing. And I think we're going to see a lot more hemp infused products. I think that's, it's still barely starting, but I think we're going to see it on the shelf way more. And my last question here is what advice would you give to someone looking to build their own business? Uh, if you were just starting, if you were talking to someone just starting out, what would you tell them? Perseverance is the key, period. If you don't have it, leave <laughs> I totally agree it's uh it's not about what you do it's how long you stick around after uh, things go wrong that's probably the most important factor well thank you so much for joining me today I think that a lot of people uh can learn from your story and I really look forward to watching you grow uh, as you progress thank you so much Erin I had so much fun <laughs> appreciate it and that was hunting influence to find out more about influence hunter and how we source micro and nano influencers to exponentially grow the reach of your brand, visit influencehunter.com. And then make sure to search for Hunting Influence in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Influence Hunter, thanks for listening.